Due to the graphic nature of this dictator's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of animal abuse, murder, and sexual assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. In May of 1541, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado's expedition staggered into an indigenous camp in northwest Texas. 31-year-old Coronado had roughly 1,300 people with him, and they were exhausted, sickly, and starving. They had wandered the Great Plains for weeks, searching blindly for a place called Kivira. Coronado, led by an enslaved native guide named the Turk, believed it was the location of the famed Seven Cities of Gold. This encampment clearly wasn't Kivira, but Coronado's men needed to rest. Thankfully, the local Teos people welcomed the expedition. They provided them with food and a large pile of buffalo hides. But for Coronado, the stories they provided were far less welcoming. They informed the Spanish conquistador that Quivira was still days away, and he was marching in the wrong direction. Not only that, they assured him that Quivira didn't have the treasure he sought. The revelation was a crushing blow to Coronado as the latest in a long series of setbacks. He called his officers together for a council. They had to decide whether to turn back or keep pressing on. Coronado was determined to keep going. He knew that if he gave up and went home, he'd be financially ruined and he'd never win the prestige he craved. Coronado would march to the ends of the earth to avoid that fate. He would either reach the cities of gold or he'd die trying. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This season on Dictators, we're traveling back to the 16th century and exploring the lives of the Spanish conquistadors. Today, we'll finish our dive into the life of Francisco Vasquez de Coronado. Last time, we looked at how Coronado came to lead a massive expedition into what is now the southwestern United States and his violent conflicts with the indigenous people there. This time, we'll explore Coronado's role in the Tiwish War, his journey to the mythical Great Plains city of Quivera, and the attempts made by his own countrymen to bring him to justice. We'll have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new Moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money Maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes 
their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. As the second son of a minor Spanish noble, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado couldn't look forward to a substantial inheritance. So to gain the fame and fortune he desired, he journeyed to the New World in 1535. Thanks to his friendship with the first viceroy of New Spain, Antonio de Mendoza, Coronado became the governor of Nueva Galicia in western Mexico. At that time, survivors of an ill-fated expedition brought back tales of a magnificent city located far to the north. This region was almost completely unexplored by the Spaniards, so they called it Tierra Nueva. And today, it spans most of the United States and Canada. A Franciscan friar was sent to investigate the rumors and confirmed that he had seen a distant, glittering metropolis. The place came to be called the Seven Cities of Gold. The tales excited the imaginations of the people of New Spain. Few could have been more enthusiastic than Coronado, who recognized an incredible opportunity. If he could discover the Seven Cities of Gold and obtain their treasures for Spain, not only would he become fabulously wealthy, but the name Coronado would then be as renowned as Cortez or Pizarro. In 1540, Mendoza chose Coronado to lead an expedition of nearly 2,000 people to Tierra Nueva. Coronado mortgaged his entire estate to help finance the expedition, betting his livelihood on finding the golden cities. Initially, the Spaniards believed the treasure was at a place called Cibola. But once Coronado reached Cibola, it turned out to be a modest Pueblo village with no gold or silver to speak of. Incensed and frustrated, Coronado quickly conquered Cibola. Then he pressed on to a more bountiful group of indigenous settlements called Tiwish, now known as the Tiwa in present-day New Mexico. Tiwish was a group of 12 Pueblo villages clustered in a roughly 30-mile area on either side of the Rio Grande River just north of Albuquerque. Coronado intended to stay there to rest and resupply before deciding whether to continue the hunt for the Golden Cities. But while the Spaniards were at Tiwish, an enslaved indigenous guide they called the Turk shared a story. He said that his homeland, Kivira, was a magnificent city filled with gold and silver. The Turk's fantastical tales reinvigorated Coronado's dream of finding a city of gold. So much so that he ignored another local guide from the Great Plains who insisted that none of the Turk's stories were true. But the Turk told the Spaniards that there was proof of his tales in the nearby settlement of Sicuye. There, they'd find a gold bracelet originally from his homeland. Coronado immediately dispatched Captain Hernando de Alvarado to Sicuye to retrieve the bracelet. 
However, when Alvarado arrived at Sicuye and asked to see the bracelet, the people there insisted there was no such thing. Alvarado refused to accept the news. Believing that the villagers were hiding the treasure from him, Alvarado seized two local men and put them in iron shackles. The prisoners were dragged back to Tiwish, where Coronado had them interrogated and threatened with hanging. They were led to a field where a Spanish officer sicked a dog on one of the prisoners, ultimately crippling him. Despite the torture, both prisoners continued to deny the existence of the bracelet. When the Sakuye villagers sent a delegation to appeal for mercy, they were also arrested. As Coronado continued his interrogations, he demanded even more from the people of Tiwish, called the Tiwa. Specifically, he wanted clothing. Since Friar Marcos de Niza had reassured them that the journey would be easy when they left in the spring, the expedition hadn't bothered preparing for cold weather. Now, winter was fast approaching. Coronado's people were weakened by hunger and the grueling expedition. He knew that if they didn't find warm clothes before winter, many would perish. So he summoned a Tiwa chief and demanded that he provide 300 warm robes. The Tiwa chief didn't have enough robes on hand to meet the demand, but he suggested the matter be brought before the various chiefs of the 12 pueblos. Perhaps if all the pueblos pooled their resources, they could provide enough robes for the expedition. Either not trusting the chief or too impatient to wait, Coronado never bothered reaching out to the other pueblos of Tiwish. Instead, he sent his soldiers to forcibly confiscate the robes. Often, this meant literally ripping the clothes off the villagers' backs. During at least one of these plundering excursions, Coronado's soldiers took not only clothing, but also chickens and blankets. The Spaniards also set their horses to grazing on the cornfields outside Tiwish, unaware that the Tiwa used the corn stalks as winter fuel. Another greedy theft by the colonizers. And there were at least two incidents of Coronado's men sexually assaulting Tiwa women. These assaults were largely ignored by Coronado, and one of his men testified later that it was public knowledge that the assaults were happening. Now deeply fearing for the lives of Pueblo wives and children, the assaults inflicted by the expedition pushed the Tiwa to their breaking point. The Tiwa decided to retaliate in kind. They attacked the Spaniards' indigenous Mexican allies who had been guarding the expedition's herds, clubbing several men to death. Then they killed over 50 pack animals. Coronado sent his second-in-command, Garcia López de Cárdenas, to the various pueblos to determine if the attack had been a declaration of war. When he arrived, Cárdenas found the pueblos barricaded, as if ready for a siege. Inside, the Tiwa slaughtered any Spanish horses that were trapped inside the barricades. Coronado summoned his officers, who all agreed that the attack signaled a rebellion by the Tiwa. Coronado asked whether they should abandon Tiwish and leave the Tiwa be, or go to war. The response was unanimous. The Spaniards wanted war. 
In late December, Coronado sent a captain to one of the pueblos to give the inhabitants a chance to surrender. Once again, the Spaniards read the requerimiento, the formal demand that indigenous people accept the rule of Spain. Since it was read in Spanish, they attempted to use signals to translate the complicated text. The Tiwa refused, and Coronado's soldiers attacked the pueblo. The battle lasted a day and a half until the expedition's indigenous Mexican allies lit fires in the lower rooms of the Pueblo, filling the town with smoke and causing the Tiwa to surrender. Despite their submission, the Spaniards didn't afford the Tiwa any mercy. They butchered the surrendering villagers, stabbing them with spears or throwing them, tied and helpless, onto fires. Around 30 Tiwa were burned at the stake, while dozens more were gruesomely murdered by the soldiers. One Spanish witness suggested that 130 Tiwa were murdered that day, describing the massacre as, quote, an act of great cruelty. Who ordered the massacre remains uncertain. Cardenas reported that his soldiers acted on their own initiative, most other witnesses said that Cardenas ordered the killings. Many believe that Coronado was ultimately behind it and that he had the Tiwa burned alive in order to spread terror among the other pueblos. But if this was his intent, it failed. The remaining Tiwa abandoned their homes and retreated to two strongly defended pueblos to regroup. One of these was the largest and most heavily fortified settlement in Tiwish, called Mojo, located near present-day San Felipe, New Mexico. Finding the other pueblos abandoned, Coronado's soldiers tore out the home's timber frames to use as firewood and then burned them to the ground. After destroying the other pueblos, the Spaniards laid siege to Mojo. The Tiwa repulsed their initial attempts to scale the walls with ladders and break in with a crude battering ram. Recognizing that the fight ahead would be difficult, Coronado went to Mojo and took command himself. He ordered the Pueblo be put under siege. He was determined to see Mojo surrender and then punish the people of Tiwish gruesomely for their defiance. While the defenders of Mojo were just as determined to hold out against Coronado's ruthless conquest, they had a serious weakness. The Pueblo had no independent water source within its walls. The Tiwa attempted to dig a well, but it collapsed and killed 30 of the diggers. Trapped without a steady supply of fresh water, the defenders had to rely on rainwater and melted snow. For months, the Tiwa barricaded themselves inside their homes while the Spanish waited for them to reappear in the open where they would imprison or kill them on sight. Eventually, a group of defenders tried to slip out of the Pueblo and make a run for a nearby river. But the Spaniards caught them as they tried to escape, killing most of them and enslaving the survivors. One witness reported that Coronado ordered about 30 Tiwa prisoners to have their hands cut off and then set upon by dogs. Unable to escape the fury of Coronado, the morale of the Tiwa was shattered. After a nearly two-month-long siege, Moho fell in late March 1541. 
just days after the other remaining Pueblo of Tiwish also surrendered. Even after surrender, Coronado oversaw the destruction of the 12 Pueblos of Tiwish and the death or enslavement of many of their inhabitants. Now he was ready to set out again for his ultimate goal, the Cities of Gold. Coming up, Coronado journeys deeper into a vast, unknown land. Now back to the story. In March 1541, Francisco Vasquez de Coronado conquered the last holdouts of the Tiwa people in present-day New Mexico. After killing or enslaving the inhabitants of Tiwish, he seized the warm clothing and supplies he needed to keep his expedition going. Now Coronado could resume his hunt for Kivira, the alleged location of the Seven Cities of Gold. Before heading out, some of his officers urged him to send a small scouting party to Kivira first. They wanted to ensure that they wouldn't be duped, as they had been by Friar Nisa. But Coronado was too impatient for scouting. He wished to be remembered as the man who discovered the magnificent city of gold, and that meant getting there first. He also worried that he might need to take the city by force and wanted to keep his whole army ready to fight. So he gave the order to march onward. On April 23, 1541, Coronado led his expeditionary force toward the Great Plains and Kivira. His motley company of around 1,500 people included Spanish soldiers and three of their wives and children, indigenous Mexican allies, and African and indigenous slaves. One of their first stops was Sicuye, the village where the Turk had promised the bracelet as evidence of Kivira's wealth. Once they arrived, Coronado released a prisoner he still held who'd been taken from the village. In exchange, the town provided him with food and a captive boy from Kivira. The boy apparently told Coronado that Kivira did indeed have gold and silver, but not as much as they seemed to believe. Still, his story was enough to keep the expedition moving. From Sicuye, the expedition traveled south and reached the Pecos River in four days. It took another four days to get everyone across the river. Turning east, the expedition encountered vast herds of buffalo, as well as Apache people who helped guide them across the grassland of West Texas. The endless stretch of prairie occupied by the Apache was bewildering to the Spaniards and their allies. Coronado remarked, some plains were so without landmarks that it was as if we were in the middle of the sea. The expedition was fumbling about, utterly lost. Their food supplies dwindled until they lived off whatever buffalo meat they could hunt. Coronado described drinking water that was more mud than liquid. Sometimes hunters sent out to find buffalo got lost and never returned. Besides the shock to morale and the loss of able-bodied fighters, each loss hurt Coronado's store of supplies. Running out of food, he needed to find some sort of relief, and quickly. Adrift in the endless sea of grass, Coronado dispatched Captain Rodrigo Maldonado to scout ahead for some sort of landmark they could follow. 
After a four-day march, Maldonado stumbled on a canyon that was home to an indigenous village. This was inhabited by the Teas people, who were on hostile terms with the people of Kivira. The Teas gave Maldonado gifts, and the captain reported back to Coronado about what he'd found. The rest of the expedition soon reached the ravine and rested there for several days in May. The Teas informed Coronado that he was not heading toward a city of gold. In fact, they told him Kivira had no precious metals at all. Annoyed, Coronado had the guide from Kivira, the Turk, brought out to explain himself, likely under torture. Eventually, the Turk confessed that he had been leading them in the wrong direction and had lied about the riches of Kivira. Though he didn't know for certain, Coronado thought that the people of Sikuye, where they'd encountered the Turk, had been behind the whole lie. They likely hoped that the invaders would get lost on the Great Plains. Coronado decided not to kill the Turk, as he still wished to travel to Kivira. Even if it didn't have gold, Coronado wasn't ready to give up hope of finding some treasure to justify the hardships they had endured. But taking the whole expedition the rest of the way no longer seemed feasible, as Coronado doubted they could scrounge enough supplies. So, during a council with his officers, he decided that the bulk of the expedition would return to Tiwish. Meanwhile, Coronado would personally lead a small force of about 50 men, including Teas guides, onward to Kivira. By the end of May 1541, Coronado was moving again, traveling northeast across the plains. After a month, he came into contact with a group of indigenous hunters near Great Bend, Kansas. Apparently, the hunters told Coronado that Kivira was ruled by a rich king. He was thrilled, believing he finally had evidence that he was on the right track. Some of his men grumbled that it all sounded like another wild goose chase. But Coronado refused to be deterred. He wrote a letter to the alleged king and tasked one of his indigenous guides with delivering it ahead of the main party. After that, Coronado reached an indigenous settlement several days later. From there, he traveled another three or four days, probably down the Arkansas River. Finally, Coronado reached Kivira. What he found was not a magnificent city of gold. Rather, Kivira was six or seven large villages, some with hundreds of homes, composed of straw huts. There was no king and there was no gold, just corn, beans, and melons. Coronado didn't record his emotions on finally seeing Kivira with his own eyes. He may have felt disappointment, despair, or rage at having been fooled again. However, his feelings can be inferred from a letter he wrote to the Spanish king. In it, he described Kivera as being so small and its people so uncivilized as to be not worth subjugating to Spain. Nevertheless, he remarked that the village chiefs agreed to submit to the Spanish crown, though this was likely an attempt to be polite to the white foreigners. As the reality sunk in after spending several days touring Kivira, Coronado asked if there were any major cities past the town. 
The locals said there was a place called Harahay and agreed to ask its chief to come visit. After a few days, the chief arrived accompanied by many warriors, but the only precious metal he had with him was a small piece of copper he wore around his neck. Coronado somehow procured this piece and later sent it to Mendoza. It was the closest he ever came to finding the treasure of the Seven Cities of Gold. After 25 days in Kivira, Coronado finally accepted that he wouldn't find any great wealth on this particular expedition. It was finally time to turn back. Before he left, Coronado had to deal with the native who had single-handedly tricked his entire expedition into traveling across the plains. Coronado had the Turk strangled to death in the dead of night, then secretly buried. He also erected a cross inscribed with the words to the effect of, Coronado was here, though the monument has not survived. The return trip was uneventful. Coronado reached Tiwish in mid-September, where his people were not happy to hear that he hadn't found any gold or silver. Coronado had failed. That October, he wrote a letter to the King of Spain stating, I have done all that I possibly could to serve your majesty. Continuing to say that in all his explorations, the best place he had found was Tiwish, but that it wasn't amenable to settlement because of the cold temperatures and distance from the sea. Even after this humiliating failure, Coronado had not yet reached his lowest point. On December 27, 1541, during a celebration for St. John's Day, the conquistador went out for a ride in the rugged countryside. At one point, he joined a fellow officer in a horse race. As Coronado drove his stallion hard and took the lead, his saddles suddenly broke. He tumbled to the ground, and the other officer's galloping horse kicked Coronado in the head as it passed by. The captain general survived, but was bedridden the whole winter, which happened to be one of the coldest on record. With no painkillers and terrorized by fleas and lice, Coronado had nothing to do for months but reflect on his failures and ponder his future. Others on the expedition reported that the formerly confident Coronado had become sullen and paranoid. Some said he became gripped by a fear of his approaching death. Regardless of the reason, during this convalescence, his hopes turned instead to returning to Mexico and reuniting with his wife and children. But not everyone in the expedition shared Coronado's desire to give up. In fact, some were plotting how they could make him pay for his failure. Coming up, the battle to bring Coronado to justice. Now back to the story. In late December 1541, 31-year-old Francisco Vasquez Coronado was kicked in the head by a horse and seriously injured. During his long, painful recovery, he finally gave up hope on finding the Seven Cities of Gold and instead decided to lead his expedition back to Mexico. In April 1542, Coronado announced his intention to turn around. Not everyone on the expedition wished to return, however. 
Some still held on to hope of finding treasure, while others were so heavily in debt back in Mexico that they had no incentive to return. About 60 Spaniards refused to make the journey back. Furious, Coronado threatened to arrest anyone who tried to stay behind. One woman reported that he threatened to hang her and her husband for even talking about staying in Tiwish. Bullied by Coronado, the majority of the Spaniards were forced to head back. Only a handful of Franciscan friars and about 200 indigenous Mexican allies were permitted to stay behind. In April 1542, the sad remnants of the expedition staggered out of Tiwish for the journey home. The injured Coronado had to be carried on a litter between two mules. When the expedition reached Culiacan, the modern capital of Sinaloa, many of Coronado's soldiers simply refused to go further. Any authority the captain general still had over the soldiers then disappeared. People abandoned Coronado left and right. Few wanted to follow him anymore. No one believed in him. He was sick and physically weak. He had failed them. And now that they were back virtually within sight of home, there was little reason to keep following him. He had nothing left to offer. By the time he finally returned to Mexico City, he had fewer than a hundred soldiers with him. In Mexico City, Coronado reunited with his old benefactor, the Viceroy of New Spain, Antonio de Mendoza. A witness reported that Mendoza was not enthused by Coronado's disappointing return, as the failure of the expedition had cost him tens of thousands of gold pesos. Nevertheless, the two remained friends. This likely helped Coronado retain his governorship of Nueva Galicia. After recuperating in Mexico City, Coronado returned to the province. He slipped right back into performing his old duties, including putting down indigenous revolts. He tried to forget the disastrous expedition by throwing himself into work. But others weren't so eager to forget nor forgive. This included Coronado's men who had suffered during the expedition or felt he had given up too soon, as well as investors who had lost their life savings backing him. They wrote angry letters to the King of Spain and the Supreme Council of the Indies. In these letters, they attacked Coronado and gave accounts of his brutal treatment of the indigenous people at Cibola and Diwish. The accusations led to an official investigation launched in September 1543. The next year, 14 witnesses who knew Coronado personally gave testimony, most of whom condemned his actions. The authorities wanted to know if Coronado was responsible for the various atrocities committed at Cibola and Tiwish. They also wanted to know if Coronado had read the Recaramiento before attacking. Of course, reading the Recaramiento meant little to the indigenous populations and was potentially intended to soften the colonizers' guilt. But according to Spanish law, as long as a conquistador read out the Recaramiento first, they were permitted to brutalize indigenous people. Failure to read the document, however, afforded the possibility of legal consequences. Even with this caveat, the brutal treatment of indigenous people was controversial. 
Many Spaniards condemned the violence of Coronado and other conquistadors and hoped that the Spanish legal system might finally bring one of them to justice. Because Coronado had failed so spectacularly, he seemed vulnerable enough to actually get convicted. Of course, one can only wonder if there would have been an official investigation into these cruelties if Coronado had actually found a city of gold. Coronado gave testimony on September 3, 1544. He insisted he had treated indigenous women and children with kindness. He claimed he hadn't ordered the burning of the pueblos at Tiwish, nor had he ordered any indigenous person to be burned at the stake or set upon by dogs. He also claimed he had no idea about the assaults of indigenous women, even though there are records that he haphazardly investigated the claims after they happened. While officials considered the evidence, they placed Coronado under house arrest in Mexico City in February 1545. In March, Coronado was charged with six counts, including his brutality at Cibola, execution of indigenous people, and failure to colonize Tierra Nueva. After a further inquiry, Coronado was found not guilty of the abuses. It was determined that since he wasn't physically present when much of the violence had taken place, he couldn't be held responsible. Undoubtedly, Coronado avoided prosecution because his friend and benefactor, Antonio de Mendoza, was one of the judges of the trial. However, he was found guilty of misconduct as governor of Nueva Galicia. He was fined and stripped of several encomiendas. On appeal, however, those charges were reversed and the land was returned to him. By the end of the judicial proceedings, not a single member of the expedition received any serious legal punishment. There was no justice served for the violence they committed against the indigenous people of Tierra Nueva. Some of the only repercussions they did receive came through the court of public opinion. According to historian Richard Flint, those who were supposed to be spreading the word of God were seen by Spaniards as having shown shameful Christian behavior. Weakened by the hard journey of the expedition, his head injury, and the years of legal battles, Coronado's life slowly ebbed away in his final years. He was only 43 years old when he died on September 22, 1554, probably from disease. The Coronado expedition was a disaster for all involved. The indigenous people of Cibola and Tiwish suffered monstrous violence. They endured sexual assault, theft, and the destruction of their homes at the hands of the Spanish invaders. Meanwhile, the Spaniards never found gold to compensate them for the hardships and expenditures of the expedition. Many investors lost everything. The women, African slaves, and indigenous allies got nothing after their difficult journey, while Coronado collected his salary as governor of a town that he hadn't been to in two years. Tragically, the Spanish colonizers didn't learn a single lesson from the whole ordeal. In fact, the Coronado expedition was nearly forgotten after it concluded. Even the local knowledge they brought back with them was never put to use. 
Rather, future explorers who remained ignorant of the truth of Tierra Nueva departed on similar journeys looking for treasure. These ended with similarly grave consequences, especially for the indigenous people of what is now the southwestern United States. Years later, the Coronado name saw a resurgence. This was thanks to the fact that he led the first European exploration of this vast territory, making his expedition the first to see many areas, including the Grand Canyon. Today, Coronado's name appears on a U.S. national memorial and a national forest. It's the namesake of mountains, high schools, and even a shopping mall. In that way, Coronado did succeed in one of his lifelong goals, though it didn't happen until long after he was dead. The Coronado name became famous. Sadly, most of these tributes conveniently ignore the legacy of violence, cruelty, and failure that Coronado left behind. Thanks for listening to Dictators. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Dictators was written by Devin Hughes, edited by Andrew Kelleher and Andrew Messer, fact-checked by Mary Mathis, researched by Bradley Klein, and produced by Bruce Kitovich. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rosner. Thank you.